The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. So be forewarned if you've never listened to one of these podcasts that we will be spoiling secrets from the movie if you haven't seen it yet. I'm here with Tanner Colby. Hello, Tanner. Hi, Dana. How are you? Freelance writer, author of The Chris Farley Show. Um, Doer of stuff. <laughs> knower of knowledge. And uh, actually, we found out, I just realized today, that you're the perfect guest for this particular podcast because you're from New Orleans, Louisiana, which is where this movie is set and where it gets a lot of its local color and bad accents and they, various other... No one ever gets the accent right, so you just give up on that. You write that off from the beginning of the movie and you, you try not to care. So Brad Pitt's accent is is terrible, and he, he just tries to do a Rhett Butler generic southern drawl thing and it's really bad which is strange given that he's from missouri he's from geographically the south but aside from the accents i feel like they really captured new orleans well in general it seems like you liked the movie more than i did we didn't see it together you just saw it yesterday and i saw it a few weeks ago but you i think were quite moved by it right i i was it was it was less moving than interesting i think you you said that you felt it was it was a little too cerebral and that it was more of a, a thought exercise. And I think that's okay because it, it definitely made me think as much as it swept me up and, and moved me. Well, uh, let's let's go go back and do a quick plot summary. We, we can really get into the weeds with this plot summary because it's yes. a long, long movie in which tons of stuff happens and there's a lot of character arcs to keep track of. But briefly, okay, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is based on a short story of the same name by F. Scott Fitzgerald, which it resembles almost not at all. Have you read the story? No, I haven't read the story. It's very short and very slight and sort of like a little trifle, actually, sort of like a little social satire kind of funny trifle that has none of the sort of existential heaviness and weight of this movie. And it also just has a very different plot. There's no big love story. Many, many characters were written in. But the basic idea that was taken from Fitzgerald remains, which is that this um, baby is born in 1918 or so in New Orleans, Louisiana, and he's born old and he ages backwards. And we never know in the story or the movie exactly why this happens. There's not really a supernatural explanation that's specifically attached to it, although it seems in the movie to be linked in some way to this clock that was recently put up in the town that, right, uh, that moves a lo- backwards. A local clockmaker who lost his son in the First World War built the clock at the local train station, which is much nicer, by the way, than the actual New Orleans train station, a clock that runs backwards to remind people of everything that was lost during World War One, and, and in some sort of symbolic, metaphysical way, this is connected. I guess this with is the birth connected of this to the birth of the baby, and it's never explained, and I don't think it needs to be. It's just there, and so he's born backwards, and he's abandoned conveniently enough at an old folks' home, uh, where the the young black caretaker of the house takes him in and raises him as her own, and uh, you know you see him the the special effects while we're here are just amazing I think when he the old man who's seven years old uh, they do really well and he grows up and he just because he's living life in in the opposite direction of everyone else uh, he doesn't get to hold on to anything he just has to watch everything fade as he moves away from it and 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 pulls away and he's accustomed to that because he grows up around all these old people you know who are dying all the time and uh, I thought it was a really interesting motif, I guess, or, or device. So because we know that he's going to grow down, he's going to grow younger to become Brad Pitt, what did you think of the pace at which that happens? Like, I've heard a lot of criticisms about this movie that it just it just takes too long to get going. The love story, which is that he falls in love with this little girl named Daisy when he's 
12, but actually looks about 75, right. and she's about 10 or so, and they stay in love their whole life. She grows up to be Kate Blanchett, and there's really a long section of the movie in which we're sort of waiting for, for there to be an adult love story, and there's this, you know, these approaching ages. They do. They spend a long time when he's a young old man, and they telescope things a lot as he gets old, as he gets younger, uh, and, and move the story much faster as it goes. I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was... I was interested enough the whole time that I was forgiving it whatever mistakes it was making. I'll tell you why I did have a problem with that. I mean, long movie for long movie's sake, I have no problem with. I I actually love, you know, a movie that sort of sweeps you up into its world and and asks a lot of the viewer in terms of patience and watching things unfold. But I don't think that Brad Pitt's performance, it's not terrible, but in a movie like this, there has to be something really wondrous about that performance because he's on screen almost every second. You know, he's under heavy makeup at the beginning and not just heavy makeup, but some sort of strange, almost fake body that he seems to have when he's a child old man. I would love to know how the special effects are done, and maybe there's some writing about it somewhere on the web, but his body seems to be shrunken in a way that it couldn't possibly be Brad Pitt's body. He must be, like, composited with some midget or child actor, don't you think? No, they definitely did some some astonishing effects there. I liked it and totally bought into it because I, I realized, actually, a, a couple of months ago that I feel like I'm getting younger as all my friends get older, so it really hit home for me. I was, I was very much a, an old man. When I was young, I was unfortunately a, a, a Republican and studied too hard, worked too hard and and didn't really goof off and fuck around and have as much fun as, as I should have. And now that I'm 33, all my friends are married and having kids and settling down. And I, you know, I write books and don't have an actual real job and yet somehow still make a living at it. And uh, I'm not married, don't have kids, really don't have any attachments weighing me down. And so I feel like I'm just now, I'm now going off and having all the, the sort of random adventures that I didn't have when I was 18. And so I'm moving in the opposite direction of, of everyone in my life. And so I was utterly hooked in and, and fascinated by the story. And I think people who are in that situation uh, similar to mine will be fascinated for that reason. And I think people who are, you know, married and, and the movie is basically about, you know, being able to let go of things when it's time to let go of them. And uh, people who have families and kids and things that they desperately want to hold on to. I just wonder how it'll resonate differently for them. Well, it's funny. I was actually more moved by that little disquisition you just made on the movie than by anything in the movie itself. <laughs> I mean, I agree that the, the conceit of aging backwards is is great. There was a movie last year. I don't know if nobody saw this. I'm sure you didn't see it. But there was a Francis Ford Coppola movie called... Youth Without Youth. Youth Without Youth, right. Exactly. Which I even reviewed, and now I've forgotten the title of it. And it was very strange and sort of a grand failure in a way and sort of made no sense. But I thought it used this same conceit of, of aging backwards much, much more movingly than this movie. I mean, David Fincher, the director who made Case, Case of Benjamin Button, is a weird guy. Like, he's very smart. He's incredibly accomplished. His movies look incredible. I mean, yeah, I, he's, he's got an amazing visual sense, although a strangely undynamic one. Like, his movies are sort of static to me. This movie feels like a series of painted portraits rather than, you know, something that's like dynamic. It, it's moving. episodic. It's, it's... But, but he's so cold. Right. I mean, there's just something about him. The fact that he's making this movie now essentially about loss and death and aging and, you know, things that involve the human heart. I just don't feel like he quite belongs there. He's he's very cerebral and somehow chilly. And that's the reason that this movie, although I admired portions of it, never really swept me up at all. I think this is the first time you and I have ever disagreed about a movie, Dana. <laughs> I'm not going to storm out of the studio, I promise. <laughs> no, this is an exciting movie to disagree about, actually, because it's not like I'm dismissing the whole thing. You know, I, I, I like to be I'd like to see it again with with 
a more open. Well, and the other thing, and this is a bit of a spoiler because it's, it's not anywhere in any of the, the the trailers. The movie is set against the frame of Hurricane Katrina, which I thought was strange in the beginning. Kate Blanchett character is dying in the hospital as the movie opens, and Katrina is just a few hours away, and she's talking to her daughter, and and her daughter. Uh, she has her daughter read from Benjamin Button's diary to pass the hours while she's she's passing away in the hospital. And she's doing this so that she, it's and here's a spoiler for you, so that her daughter will find out that Benjamin Button is, in fact, her father, which she never knew before. And daughter's played by Julia Ormond. And so to me, it was weird that every we're in this fantastical story where someone's aging backwards and uh, it's set against the backdrop of history. And, and then we come back to it feels very modern, you know, news reports of Katrina on the way. And in a way, this is the first post-Katrina movie and uh, so like all the post-9-11 movies that, that came out. So that felt a little weird for me. But then at, at the end of the movie, when the clock, which has been the train station clock, which has been taken down and put into storage, ending the movie, uh, at the end of the movie, Hurricane Katrina is hit. And the last thing you see is this clock in the basement and the floodwaters rushing in, destroying whatever was left of Benjamin Button and the thing that created him and, and his time. And while the Katrina thing was jarring for me the whole way through, that tying it all together really worked. Well, I agree, I agree that the last image is kind of beautiful and a very and it's very sort of borrowed from Citizen Kane sort of way because the the clock has already been taken down is in this kind of storeroom full of junk that's slowly filling up with water and it's really melancholy last image. But that framing story about Katrina just never worked for me at all. I just had that horrible frame story feeling of like, oh God, here we are back in the present day. Yeah, watching Kate Blanchett dead. And I also have to say, as an absolute venerator of Kate Blanchett, that I didn't love her as the old person in that framing story. I think she's she's really great at all the various ages that she plays. She is either an amazing dancer or, once again, they composited her onto Suzanne Farrell's body or something because she plays this ballerina and actually seems to be on point and things like that. But when she plays that old lady with the heavy age makeup... I don't know. There's something about her performance that just felt really flat. Old, and dead old to lady me. and old person in heavy age makeup, whether it's Dustin Hoffman, a little big man, or it's always just a little silly. I, I guess, always feel I mean, like I, I you should just was, have was, an old person who looks kind of like Kate Blanchett. Yeah, maybe it should have been that. I mean, it was pretty great makeup, as as the makeup and costume design and production design was throughout. It really looked like Kate Blanchett might look when she's really, really old. But there's, I mean, talk about undynamic. Just watching someone lie flat on a bed, talking talking in this croaky voice. I'm not saying that it could never work, but those right. scenes just really, really dragged for me. This movie felt at least 40 minutes too long. All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the very end of the movie in a second. But first, I just want to know, do you agree with me about Pitt's performance, that there was something a little flaccid about it? I don't think it was great. I think it was flaccid. I think Brad Pitt is one of those guys, and uh, uh, he's a character actor trapped inside a leading man's body. So whenever they ask him to be a straight leading man, it's, it's actually kind of boring. And so I thought it was it was interesting when he was like the old man, and he was sort of like affecting the old man attitude. But then as he grows and matures, and he's just a guy... He gets a little flat, and I read an interview where they said that they did that very much on purpose. That he was—he is a passive observer to events going, you know, to he's watching the the train go in the other direction, and they made a choice to to have him be a real passive character upon whom impressions are made, and maybe that was a bad choice, and uh, it didn't really work. But you know, for whatever the problem, the bad accent or whatever, I was just. I allowed myself to be invested in it and, and, and bought it. I found him so, sticky as the old man. I just found, I mean, not embarrassingly sticky, not sort of Al Pacino level of sticky, but I never really bought that old man character. I couldn't tell if Brad Pitt even knew or cared how much the old man 
was an old man on the inside, you know? I mean, I, I just didn't feel the internal life of Well, he wasn't old an old man on the inside. He was a young boy on the but inside. Then he, but then Brad Pitt wasn't projecting enough boyhood or childhood from him either. It was sort of like he was so working so hard to have the mannerisms of an old man that he man- didn't manage to do this very complex thing, which maybe Kate Blanchett is more the, the kind of actor who can do this, but, you know, who can simultaneously be a child on the inside and sort of have the voice of an old man. It's a very hard role. I just, I don't think Yeah, I don't even know it. how you would act that. I think you would have to, you know, raise Lee Strasberg from the dead and ask him what to do. <laughs> but uh, if you saw um, if you saw I'm Not There last year, Kate Blanchett pulled off something almost that amazing in her portrait of Bob Dylan. I think there are people that can do those kinds of various undercurrents at the same time. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the problem there is that you probably needed a non-leading man actor to pull that off, but you need a leading man actor to raise $150 million to make <laughs> right? this movie. And so that's what you're going to get. Oh, here's a Brad Pitt moment that I loved that was much more to do with the makeup and the lensing and, you know, the production department than Brad Pitt. But the moment that you see him, he sort of disappears for a while in the middle of he, he and Kate Blanchett's relationship because he realizes that they're aging past each other and that she's going to start getting older as he starts getting almost sort of too young to be with her. And so he disappears for, I think, 10 years in the story yeah. or something. There's this moment that he comes back and meets with her in her dance studio. She's become a ballet teacher and she's probably like 50 and at this point, he's just he's he's youthened. He's turned into a teenager again. Yeah, he's like eighteen, and the, and he looks amazing in that scene. I have no idea how they did it, but I want that person to do my <laughs> to do my work on my face when I get old. I mean, I guess it was just trick photography or something. But he actually looked like Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise twenty. Yeah, no, years they ago. they they smoothed out the skin. There's a new digital youthening thing where they just put a filter. They did it in X-Men, where they had to have uh, Patrick Stewart and, and uh, Ian McKellen be themselves 25 years younger, uh, where they just zoop, get rid of the wrinkles, and, and have you play yourself. They did it also, they did it to Kate Blanchett when Kate Blanchett was playing the 21-year-old, though you, you, you couldn't really tell. But are you saying it's something that's done um, digitally, or yeah. is it in the camera? It's not the equivalent of Vaseline on the no, lens it's, kind it's of No, it's not thing. Vaseline on the lens. We've moved past that, Dana. Digital uh, Vaseline. It's, it's not digital. It, it is. It's digital Vaseline, and that's probably what they call the filter when when in in the computer program no i'm sure they do some of it with makeup and i think they actually did something with perspective to make kate blanchett a little bit taller because he seems he's he's actually smaller framed than he is in the previous scene he's like uh you know like you are when you're 17 or so and then they just uh you know, run a computer program over your digital profile in, in, in post-production and just zap away the years. I have to say, yeah, that was the results were breathtaking in that scene, but it's more of a technical accomplishment still to me than a cinematic one. And once Brad Pitt ages past a teenager, they go and they have a young boy playing him when he shows up and he's seven years old and they found him in an abandoned home. And to me, that was sort of weird and dramatically unsatisfying to have Brad Pitt, the actor, not be there for the emotional payoff of the movie. All of a sudden you have this kid there and then eventually an infant and and so on and so forth. And so to have Brad Pitt disappear for the last 10 minutes of the movie felt strange. But then Pitt comes back after Katrina hits and Kate Blanchett dies in, in the frame story. It comes back for this weird coda on the end, which I normally hate. Uh, there's one, the worst one ever was at the end of, of Terminator Terminator 2, actually. After Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is, is melted in the pit of lava at the factory, they come back and they just have uh, Linda Hamilton say oh, a voiceover, maybe if a Terminator can learn the value of human life, we can too. And it's just like, oh, God. Was that really what the movie's about? Yeah, we already I didn't got that get it. From, we got that from the fact that he gave a thumbs up as he was disappearing yeah, into the molten steel. Yeah, I didn't get that from the two and a half hours of the movie. And then Brad Pitt comes back in a voiceover uh, and they have a montage of all the characters 
characters of the movie, basically saying it's okay for some people to walk alone, some people will find true love, some people will go their own way. Uh, and it just uh, he does a, a narration of, of where all the characters ended up, and it's a nice final note on this theme of acceptance, acceptance of death, acceptance of letting things go, acceptance of, of being who you are. And I felt like it just felt jarring and, and out of place to me. And I felt like that sentiment, it was right to have that sentiment at the end of the movie, but it should have been incorporated into the narrative better. Instead of just having Brad Pitt just pop back up and say it, you mean? Yeah, it was sort of like, here's the conclusion sentence of the, the essay. And you're right, in the sense that it was... it. The movie was an academic exercise, and if it's an academic exercise to come on and have a summation paragraph, I guess that makes sense. So, But I forgave it because I thought it was okay and because the, the Katrina floodwater clock thing uh, wrapped it all up nicely. I think you, you forgave this movie a lot more than I did, but you make me <laughs> want to be forgiving toward it, actually. And I have it on DVD. I think I'm going to go back and, and take a look at it again. I will devote three more hours of my life to, to Benjamin Button and, and see what else I can draw out. All right, Tanner, thanks a lot for joining me on this Slate Spoiler Special. You got it. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.